Good morning. My name is Alex, and I'm the lead pastor here at Courtright. And here we are again, except you're not here again. I've talked a little over the last few months about how weird it is to preach to an empty room, and that's where I am once again, to preach to a camera, which I often forget to look at it because it's a piece of plastic and metal, and I'm, I'm looking for someone to come in so that I would be less lonely. So I got an idea this week for how to recreate a little taste of the rich and rewarding experience of having you all here with me. I call it the Glenn Fox Laugh Track. Glenn Fox, if you don't know him, is a man who laughs at my jokes. He gets me, and I really appreciate that. And Glenn's laughter is what you might call voluble. It's loud. And I find that deeply affirming. So this is going to help me feel less lonely up here. Now, my wife Judith has a theory that Glenn has single-handedly encouraged me to make more attempts at humor, to do that more than I otherwise might have in my sermons. And it's safe to say that she has pretty mixed feelings about that laugh track. (laughs) So good. Was that not amazing? I don't know if you felt the affirmation. My daughter, Lily, has tried to work with me on the humor front. She gently points out that a lot of people don't actually get my sense of humor and that when I try to put a smile on your face, that it's actually pretty awkward. That's how she experiences it. She even called it unedifying one time. I taught her that word, and now she's using it against me. Laugh track. I've got shivers. I don't know about you. So let's play this by ear, shall we? We'll see how it goes. This morning, we're starting a new sermon series. We'll be returning to Ephesians in September to finish the second half of that amazing letter we got halfway through. But this summer, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from some of the most amazing people I know each Sunday morning going forward. Four of them are missionaries that we support as a congregation. Anne and Andrew Douglas will each take a Sunday. They are the co-directors of Circle Square Ranch in Arden, Ontario, a ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Ken Oak, uh, who oversees church planting for Avant Ministries in Europe and globally out of his base in Malaga, Spain, will also be preaching. And Kevin Coghill, who is the leader of Royal City Mission here in Guelph, formerly known as the Life Center, will take a turn as well. Also, Mike Wasilik, who works for the Presbytery, who helps congregations to uh, find ways to engage with emerging generations, will speak. Then you will get to hear from two members of our own congregation, Reverend Howard Sullivan and Lindsay Sitzma, both of whom are gifted expositors of Scripture. So all of them will be taking a psalm, and I've asked them as well to reflect on what God has been teaching us, teaching them personally and teaching all of us as his church through this pandemic experience we've had. Today we begin that series in the Psalms with Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 is a psalm that points us back to God, who is ready to help us in the trouble of our lives. There's a kind of distance that can grow between us and God. And Jesus, 
through this psalm, reminds us that he's ready, he's eager to step into that gap, that distance, and to say to us in the most personal way, be still and know that I am God. And that's both a command and an invitation to us. Jesus is inviting us to get to know him as we hear those words. And today we're going to take the time to listen to this psalm. There's nothing more important than listening to the words of encouragement, the words of life the disciples once described them uh, in conversation with Jesus. There's nothing more important than that. If you're like me, you get distracted by so many things in your life. And right now is the time when the Holy Spirit wants us to stop, to be still, and to get to know God again. So let's pray before we open our Bibles. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the reflections of all of our hearts, and Lord, I I pray that even though we're watching from home, uh, even though we have the freedom to get up and walk around, that you would enable us to, to hear what we need to hear, to focus on your word today. I pray that all of this would be acceptable and even pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're reading Psalm 46, and if you don't have a Bible in front of you, or if you don't have the words on a screen with you, then this is the time to either grab a hard copy of the Bible or to pull that up, because I will be referring back to the psalm, um, to specific verses throughout the course of the sermon. So Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week, something broke in our household. You know what that's like, I'm sure. We all do. Things break. It happens all the time. We had that experience in my family this week when someone dropped something made of glass on our kitchen floor, and it shattered. And I got upset. I shouldn't have, but I did. I'm sorry. I want to say that to my kids right now who are watching. It's upsetting when things break. And our lives feel that way at times, too. Scattered, chaotic, even out of control. This psalm speaks into that predicament in five ways. First of all, it gives us the promise of protection. Secondly, it reminds us of the inevitability of trouble. Third, it offers this incredible vision 
of God's presence, of his fullness with us. Fourth, it points to a resolution to the conflict that we see everywhere in the world. And finally, it invites us to follow the way of peace, to the source of peace, who is Jesus himself. So protection and trouble, kind of intermingled, interwoven, and then this vision of God's presence. Then we see a resolution to the conflict, and in the end, there's an invitation to peace. The psalm starts with a promise of protection. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Nice opening, comforting, reassuring, but then we immediately dive into the trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, says the psalmist. We don't need to be afraid, and that's good, but there's bad news too. It turns out, and we know this, trouble is all around us. It's described here in terms of chaos, upheaval, collapse, The picture we get in the psalm is the sea. For people living when the psalm was written, the sea was literally a threat. Whether it was the small Sea of Galilee or the much larger Mediterranean, our technology today leaves us much less afraid of the ocean. But when this psalm was written, every sea journey carried significant risk. People died all the time from that. Even more, in the ancient world, the sea was a symbol of chaos and darkness. And the mountains were understood to be like anchors of the world. But here in the psalm, they're falling into the sea. In the first chapter of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, we read that the earth was created out of the water. But here, it's the opposite. The earth is giving way into the sea. Everything is falling apart. Can you relate to that? We sometimes use the word breakdown to describe times in our life when things feel out of control and we can't handle it. The reality is we experience chaos every day, but we hide it. And some of us are better at that kind of control than others. We see someone across the room and they look fine on the outside, but inside they're dealing with emotional chaos, with broken relationships, or maybe their health is falling apart or their professional life, their business is falling apart, or their family is falling apart. I have a friend with young kids who sometimes describes uh, their family experience as being like a gong show on social media. And we find that kind of honesty refreshing, don't we? We can relate to that. And then, ultimately, as we think about chaos, death is the chaos that brings an end to life. It affects all of us. It tears us apart from our loved ones and apart from God. Now, maybe death feels inevitable. Uh, Maybe death feels distant to you right now. Not something you're dealing with, but all of us feel anxiety. We are preoccupied, we're worried, and we have that going on in our lives for sure. We're restless. Our minds race around, jumping to different possible conclusions. And this, I think, is one of the big casualties of the pandemic that's really hard to quantify, to report on, because it is so internal for people. We're worried about the future. We're worried about the economy, that, that as we have more and more financial assistance, which is good, what will happen in the future as businesses close, as people continue to be facing the adversity that comes from this virus. What is going to happen in the end? But 
the story continues in this psalm, and its next section shifts our focus from this trouble and this anxiety we feel to the kind of harmony and order and security that we need, all of us, in order to thrive. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, it says, the holy place where the Most High dwells. That is such a remarkable contrast from what we just read. We go from this water that's raging, that's foaming, that's roaring, to a peaceful river and streams that bring gladness to an entire city, a whole society. And again, we've got a reference reference to Genesis here. In the Garden of Eden, uh, you can read about a river that watered the land. So this is a vision of God's presence filling the earth, filling this city in particular. And it makes me think of Ephesians too, the fullness of God dwelling with us. We've heard a lot about that in recent weeks. It's, it's more of this temple language where the holy place where the Most High lives with us brings this completeness, this, this peace, this, this goodness that we long for, all of us. One thing we know about cities is that they are full of people. So God isn't alone in that city. You know, the most high, we hear God described that way, and maybe we think he's alone at the top of a mountain somewhere. But no, he's with his people. He will help us, the psalm promises. So this is a promise to the church. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. We see the church uh, divided. We see the church challenged by abuses of power, by corruption. We see the church, some of us have really experienced the church as something hurtful or as a disappointment. And yet, God is within her. She will not fall, says this psalm. And we can take solace, encouragement from that. Speaking of the church, last night we held a focus group with about 15 people from our congregation to hear about the experience you're having of this pandemic since we stopped meeting together on Sunday mornings in this room. As staff and elders, we don't want to get stuck in an echo chamber. We, we want to hear um, how people are doing as much as possible. And lots of things came up, lots of encouraging stories. People talked about how online gatherings um, in various groups using Zoom or other platforms have actually been more conducive to sharing personally in a lot of cases than, than would have been the case if people had been meeting together physically. So we've been opening up to each other. We've been more vulnerable in some cases at least, and, and we've been growing in trust maybe more than in the past. That's a great thing to hear. You know, we created neighborhood groups um, back in March as a way of trying to strengthen our church community so that we could better support and care for each other through these challenges. And pretty much everyone last night said how rewarding it has been to be a part of a group where they didn't pick the group. The group is based on geographical districts, municipal wards in the city of Guelph. So the group isn't based on who you know and who you like. It's not based on personal preference. Someone said that during coffee hour after the service, they'd leave this room and walk out over there into what we call the community room, and they would find someone they already knew, and they would spend the whole time sipping their coffee and never meet a new person. But in our neighborhood groups, we seem to have expanded our horizons. We've grown in community. We've reached out to help others, people we didn't know before. Last night, we also heard a story about 
uh, one, how one person who's a longtime Guelphite reached out to a newcomer to Canada, someone new to Courtright just this past fall, to help her with her English language skills. We heard another story about friendships springing up between a younger person and the seniors in her group. She actually said, these are not people I would normally hang out with, and yet it has been wonderful. And then one of our teenagers talked about how, for her, neighborhood groups feel integrated into her life, whereas going to church used to feel like it was more separate from her day-to-day reality. And I got pretty excited by all of this that we were hearing. Everybody was pointing to the upheaval we've gone through as a congregation and saying that, that God is waking us up to how complacent we were in the past about being the church, about his calling to us. Sunday mornings used to be our focus even more than I think we realized at the time. And that has been disrupted. That has been dislocated. That has been challenged in a way that, that I think is so good for us. And I would love to get an amen at that point from you, but you're not here, so we're going to do the Glenn Fox laugh track at this point. (laughs) Okay, that wasn't funny, but still, the laughter, it's good for my soul. So what we've gotten here in Psalm 46 is a vision of the city of God, this new society, and we're all citizens of it. And so our church, these neighborhood groups I've been talking about, all of our groups are outposts of that coming kingdom. And through it, the Holy Spirit is shaping us into the body of Christ and breaking down what could otherwise divide us. Race, education, musical preferences, whether we're rich or poor, old or young, country people or city people, liberal or conservative. But those things no longer need to keep us apart because we are one in Christ with the Holy Spirit shaping us, helping us. So that kingdom is coming, but first there's more conflict. In verse 6, the nations are in uproar, kingdoms are falling. Sure, we had that promise of protection and we had that amazing vision of God's presence and fullness, but now the trouble's back. The Bible may end with a city of God established on earth, the new Jerusalem coming down, but we are not there yet. This psalm does not pretend that joy and love and smooth sailing is what the Christian life is all about. But then something cuts through all that conflict and all that trouble. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. This is the climax of the psalm, and we're invited in. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. So what's with that? What's with desolations? Why would God bring desolations on the earth? Well, the short answer is that I don't know. Why did God allow this pandemic? I don't know. A friend of mine was telling me recently that she couldn't understand why God has not answered her prayers. That each time the obvious good thing she was asking for, each time it did not materialize, she in her mind would write a new ending to her story. One that worked things out the way she wanted them to go, the way that seemed obviously right and good. The result all of us hope for in our lives, the happy ending we're longing for, 
that we're praying God will give us. Why isn't God intervening in whatever suffering and adversity you're facing right now? I don't know. But I trust that I know God well enough to know that he is good. I think many of us at Corbett would say that we've staked our lives on that. And so we trust that he brings desolations on the earth in the end for our good, for the good of the earth. We trust that there will be a resolution in the end and it will be for the whole world. And that's where this psalm heads next. God brings desolation and judgment on human evil because he wants wars to cease. His heart is for justice. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. And that's a picture of the peace that's coming, peace among nations and peace in our homes. But how is that possible? We don't see a lot of peace in the headlines in the news today. And the psalm anticipates that kind of doubt. And God steps in at that point and speaks to us directly. We don't have to do it ourselves. We only have to recognize him. Be still, he says, and know that I am God. We want it to be a gentle call to rest, to peace, to quiet. But instead, it's a wake-up call. I've described it as an invitation, and it is, but it's also a command. Be still is a translation of a Hebrew word that means to let go, to stop, to cease. And the word actually carries the idea of two people fighting until someone separates them and they drop their weapons. It means to stop frantic activity, restlessness, and to turn back to God. It makes me think of Jacob wrestling with the Lord um, overnight. You, some of you know that story. Trying to get his own way until God touches him and breaks him. And through that experience of pain, he stops struggling against God, instead has to depend on God and starts to learn to trust the Lord. Maybe it's no accident that God is here referred to as the God of Jacob. There was one moment in our discussion last night in this focus group, a moment of clarity, I think, where we all of us agreed that it was great to be able to worship in our pajamas, to have online worship and, and just to to sit down on the couch either alone or with the people we live with um, and have a cup of coffee in your pajamas. It's more comfortable, it's easier, but then one person pointed out that you could start to take worship for granted if you did that for too long. And someone else said this, they said, the habit and discipline of moving out of our comfort zone and going somewhere is more likely to shape us at a deeper level in the long run. And I thought that was profound. We can't just be consumers of church. Instead, we're called to participate in what God is doing, the people he's gathering, the community he's building and sending out so that he can be exalted through us partly in all the nations, in the whole earth. And so in the second part of what comes in verse 10, that is repeated twice, that God is exalted and that it's for the whole world you can very much worship God. You can very much glorify him in your pajamas. But let's be clear that this isn't ultimately about us and our stillness, our knowing God, our coming to that point of peace. And yet, in a way, it is. Because the psalm ends not with God exalted on some mountaintop, but with the Lord Almighty with us. 
And we can put a face and a name to that, right? Emmanuel, which is another name for Jesus, meaning God with us. This whole psalm leads to Jesus, really. He is the one who says, be still and know me. He is the one who says, peace be still to the storms in our lives. He draws us away from the chaos into his calm, his peace. And so we can let go of our fear and our anxiety and our restless striving because Jesus has done it and so we don't have to. And he forgives us for the gong shows of our lives, for the ways that we aren't the parents we wish we were. We aren't the friends to other people that we wish we could be. We, we have left so much good undone and we have done things that we are ashamed of. But Jesus comes close. He plunges into the storm to get close to us and he says, I forgive you. And he took all the desolations of our lives and of the world onto himself. He took all the chaos of our sin and he died for us at the cross so that we could come home to God. The spear in this psalm is only shattered because Christ took it on himself into his body. And so this psalm points to the gospel truth of God's openness to us through Christ. He wants to get, uh, to, get to know us better. He wants us to draw close to him. So I would ask you this question. How are you responding to this challenge to be still and to get to know God better? I want to encourage you this week to take some time on your own with this psalm. Maybe you want to memorize it. It's not a very long psalm. A lot of psalms are perfect for that. Make it your prayer, whatever you do. First, bring the trouble in your life right now and share it with God. Take it to him in prayer and ask for his help. Then take the words of this psalm and pray them. Lord, you are with us. You are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And then start to consider how you can address the frantic, restless activity in your life. And if you feel alone in that, add that to your prayer. Ask God to bring people in your life who can join you in walking that path that leads to peace. People who are working together in community on what it means to have that peace to know Christ. That is my prayer for you and for all of us, especially as we head into the summer. So let's, let's pray right now. Lord, we want more of your peace in our lives. We want more of you. Help us to be still with you, to know you more and more. Forgive us for the ways that we've turned away from you. Give us the fruit of your Holy Spirit so that we can witness to your love, so that we can make peace with others and invite them to come to know you too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.